So a perfect lead-in, and uh, we would pray that our our hearts would be uh, open for exactly that, for Christ uh, through the Holy Spirit to to really teach us from His Word and to to guide us into uh, exactly how He'd have us live and how we have Him follow Him. Let's ask the Lord again to to do that, Father. Thank you so much for this time. This really is a pleasure. I was thinking this morning about uh, other countries where Christians are probably fearing for their lives by getting together like this. And I'm sorry that I have taken it for granted and we, we pray that you would uh, really allow us to appreciate this privilege and really to learn from you today and to have our hearts open up to what you'd have for us. We trust you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our discipleship discussion continues on. Uh, did you get your questions? Tim was going to hand some questions out to you. Ideally, we'll even have a few minutes this morning to talk through some of those, so, so keep those handy. Uh, we're going to start by, by talking about the, uh, the real key to following Christ. And we have to understand right off the bat that if we're going to follow Christ, it's only going to because the, be because the Holy Spirit is going to lead you and guide you. Just like those songs were saying, we are desperate for God to work. And we will not be followers of Christ without the Spirit working in our hearts. So we need that. We desperately need that. As we kind of get a, an idea of who the Spirit is and... Uh, exactly, exactly a summary anyway of the work that He does, it's going to be really important that you not let this 40 minutes be the only time that you take a look at this. It's just too huge of a subject to try and tackle in 40 minutes. So there's going to be some verses that, that you have. I'd really encourage you to write those down and to read those through on your own this week to dig into it and really try and understand uh, these different points. The other thing you can do is there's a lot of great literature out there on describing and explaining the work of the Spirit. So as you pick up your Bible, if you wanted some helps along the way, there's some good books that you can read and they'll even kind of summarize or categorize all the different uh, works that the Holy Spirit does and you can look through those too. Because we're just going to touch the, touch the edges of this. The subject is so huge. But I also need some help. Again, for the sake of time, I need some help reading, so um, I'll pick on a couple of my friends here. But uh, Tim, if you could have Genesis 1-2 ready, and Brian, if you'd be willing to read Matthew 28-19 for us when we get there, and uh, CP, Ephesians 4-6, and Jason Irwin, I know you're trying to hide there, but I can still see you. You're 6-5, how do you hide? 1 Peter 1-2. And then Mark, Jude 20 and 21. We'll start out, who is the Holy Spirit? Then we're going to talk about the work that He does. And then the next part, how do you get in His way? Now this is not an a encouragement to get in His way, but I thought it was important that we understand how do you interact with the Holy Spirit? And the sad part of it is not because you're more powerful or because he's any less powerful, but for some reason he is not going to force himself on you. He is not going to hammer you over the head and make you submit to his work. 
And this is really important to understand because uh, we're going to see that, that the Holy Spirit has an awesome work to do in your life. One, to lead you to know Christ as your Savior. And then two, once you know Him, to follow Him closely. But it's possible, especially for those of us who follow Him, to disobey that. Anybody who sinned today knows that, right? The Holy Spirit wants you to be pure and holy, but we know that we trip up. So we're going to examine that just a little bit in hopes to really allow us to go into this week armed and prepared to really uh, submit to the Spirit instead of getting in His way. So here's our outline. It's nice and straightforward. Who is He? What does He do? And how can you get in His way? And we'll flesh, flesh those out a little bit. Let's start by uh, remembering that the Holy Spirit is Almighty God. Don't miss that for a second. When we're talking about who is God, we talk about God the Father, we talk about God the Son, Jesus Christ. God the Holy Spirit is also fully God. We can't forget that. Sometimes I think we like to, uh, I don't know, minimize the Spirit's work and who He is, but He has the authority of Almighty God and He needs to be submitted to and obeyed. There's some verses, and that's what these verses that I kind of spread out, that's what we're going to look at next. Let's look first at Genesis 1-2. Read that for us. We're two verses into the Scriptures. In the first verse, we hear talk of, of God... Uh, and already in verse 2, God the Father, verse 1, and, and in the second verse, uh, we already hear of God the Holy Spirit. We also, later in John, learn that Jesus Christ was actually mentioned in those first few verses because He's the one who created all things. So, it's not like the Holy Spirit is uh, uh, you know, halfway through the Scripture before we hear about Him. He's right there at the beginning, just like the Father and the Son. He's Almighty God and He was there from the beginning, having a crucial part to play. Matthew 28, 19. This is an important verse because Jesus Christ Himself, His final words He's leaving, and He tells us the Great Commission, the whole verses that started our study, right, on discipleship. But remember, who did He link together there in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is significant because when God, Jesus Christ, God Himself, points out that the Holy Spirit is equal with God the Father and God the Son, we need to take note of that and we need to respect that and we need to follow that. Ephesians 4, 4-6 through six. Turn to that Ephesians 4 if you're not already there and, and uh, let's look at a couple of those details because this was really neat. I, I hadn't uh, pieced this together before getting ready for this morning, but there's really a neat way that these verses are laid out. In these verses, you see all three persons of the Godhead represented here. There's one body and one spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, mentioned right up there at the beginning. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord. 
That's actually a reference to Jesus Christ Himself, Lord. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Thanks, CP, for reading that. And you can see there, when you look through those, all three members of the Godhead are there. It's not like the Holy Spirit is some um, second-class part of the Godhead. He is right there with God the Father and God the Son. He is all-powerful. He has all the um, attributes and person of the Godhead. He's the real deal. First uh, Peter 1, 2. All three again. God the Father, sprinkled by the Holy Spirit, and then you have the Jesus Christ mentioned later there. All three members of the Godhead are there. The reason I point this out is because I'm, I'm pretty convinced uh, that you're not going to see a verse in Scripture that says there are three parts of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, there is one verse that touches on that uh, in some of the manuscripts, but there's all kinds of debate on that. What I wanted to show, what I think we needed to see, was that you don't need that flat out, okay, there are three members of the Godhead, because you can see that through all these other verses. It's clear. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're mentioned all throughout Scripture. And then finally, Jude 20 and 21. Did you see all the members of the Godhead there? Can you pick those out when you look at Jude 20 and 21? Do you see them? As you're reading this week, look for that. Let's try and find how many different times have, have I glanced over in the past where all the members of the Godhead are mentioned. That's really cool and, and it's been a real eye-opener to me that, that the, uh, this idea of, of studying God, that He's three persons all in one, as complicated for my human mind as it is, it is all through the Scriptures. All through the Scriptures. And so we point those out this morning again to make sure that you know that this isn't something that uh, a certain group of people got together and decided to teach on. This isn't something that is uh, kind of this new idea out there. This is something at the very heart of who God is. God is Father. God is Son. And God is Holy Spirit. Three separate persons, but united perfectly as one God. Very, very important that we review that. So who is the Holy Spirit? He is Almighty God. Don't forget that for a second. Uh, because if we forget that, we minimize His work and then miss the, uh, the truth of Scripture. So who is He? He's Almighty God. Secondly, what does He do? What's the work of the Spirit? Oh man, this subject is huge. We could talk literally for hours uh, on what the Holy Spirit does. But as I was studying, I, I was really encouraged to uh, um, summarize it really in one work for this morning. Again, I was reading uh, Grudem's... Gruden or Grudem? I always get confused with the Tampa Bay head coach. But I think the author is Wayne Grudem, if I'm right, uh, versus John from Tampa Bay, but the uh, author lays out and explains all these different verses of all these different works that the Holy Spirit does. But one of them, well, I would say my favorite, he says that the 
key work of the Holy... One of the works of the Holy Spirit is that He empowers. The Holy Spirit empowers. And there's really three uh, small subcategories under that that I wanted to look at this morning. The Holy Spirit... One of the works of the Holy Spirit is that He empowers. The first part of that is pretty neat. The Holy Spirit Himself is the one who sustains physical life. He gives and He sustains physical life. The air that you're breathing, the life in you. Have you noticed that as much as as we as uh, people study the human body, we study living things, there's a part of life that we can't understand. We know how the blood pumps and flows. We know how the nervous system works. But we can't explain that, that special spark of life. We could surgically reconstruct a human body and put all the right parts in place and all the right uh, fluids and we could even uh, supply the electricity, but we cannot give that special spark of life. Why? Well, I'm convinced it's because that special spark of life comes from the Holy Spirit of God and that life is given and life is sustained by the Holy Spirit. Don't take my word for it. Let's look at Psalm 104 together. Psalm 104. Verse 30. Speaking of God, when you send your Spirit, they are created. Let's back up to verse 27. Speaking of God's creation, these all look to you to give them their food at their proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your Spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in His works. Look at Job 34 with me. It's backwards of one book. Job 34, 14 and 15. This one's pretty, pretty black and white. Speaking of God again, verse 14, If it were His intention and He withdrew His Spirit and breath, all mankind would perish together and man would return to the dust. If God withdrew His Spirit and His breath, all mankind would perish together and man would return to the dust. The Spirit of God not only gives that spark of life, He maintains it. And He sustains your physical life. Life is short, we know that. It's just inexplainable, isn't it, about how all the different factors. The fact that you're here today, breathing, living, is no accident. God has a reason and has a purpose for your life. Maybe it's... Uh, because you, He's yet to bring you to Himself. Maybe He's bringing you in to show Him Himself, to show you Himself, so that you can meet Him and know Him. 
for those of you that know Him, it's to serve Him and to live for Him. But you have purpose. You have meaning. You are not an accident. You are not a, a circumstantial, random act. You are a life that God is sustaining and giving breath every day. That's cool, isn't it? That's important to understand because life can seem purposeless and meaning at times. Uh, all of us can get those thoughts. But God has reasons that you have breath and it's His will that you have breath at this given moment. So we need to appreciate that. So He empowers by giving physical life. Next, the Spirit of God gives spiritual life. Here's another topic that we could talk about and discuss for, for weeks or months, but it's a very, very important um, subject to touch on. Spiritual life comes from God alone and it comes from the Holy Spirit. Let's look at John 3. This is a famous chapter. You've seen these, at least one verse, John 3.16, probably at football games and all over the place and most of you probably even have it memorized. But there's a few verses leading up to John 16 of chapter 3 that uh, are really, really important too. And they explain the role that the Spirit of God has in giving spiritual life. The other thing I like about these verses, it, it, it'll give us a minute to explain the difference too between physical life and spiritual life. What are we talking about in that? Well, look at John 3, and I'll give you a little background. There was a man who came to Jesus and was asking him all kinds of questions. He was basically asking, how do I get this spiritual life? This man knew that all of us, like all of us, he had sinned at least once at some point down the line. And he knew that the Scripture was very clear, especially the Old Testament that he would have been real familiar with, that God has to punish sin. God cannot stand sin. He has to have sin taken care of because he's holy. He's separate from sin. So this man came to Jesus asking him, what do you do about this problem? And let's read verse 1 just for the, the context. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. There's a separation here. There's physical life. We know that that comes from being born of your mother. And then Jesus is explaining that there's a spiritual life. And we know that that spiritual life, as Ephesians 2 would talk about, would be going from spiritual death because of our sin to having spiritual life again. And we know, based on verse 6, 
that where does that spiritual life come from? The Spirit of God. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. We need to understand that the Holy Spirit of God gives spiritual life. And without His work, we cannot have spiritual life. Now the cool thing is, is again, God, remember we said that it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Spirit isn't the only member of the Godhead involved in this giving of life. Look at verse 16, and we're reminded again of the other two members of the Godhead and what they did in this work of giving life. For God, God the Father, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. The work of salvation has been completely done by God Himself. And our only response is to believe it, to accept it, to receive that work. But we need to understand that God isn't independent of that either. That the Spirit of God actually allows us to believe and allows us to have that spiritual life. Let's look at a couple other verses. Luke 4, verse 1 and 2. Sorry, we've got to wait on that one. We've got to flesh, flesh this concept out a little more. We can't just leave it there, can we? Um, we've been studying the, these John, so let's stay there. This is not on the uh, program, so to speak, but I think it's, it's worthwhile. Um, John 6, turn to John 6. Help me out with the reference there. Is it on there? I guess it is on the program. It's not in my notes, but it's on there. Good. A late edition. Verse 63 of chapter 6. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray Him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to Me unless the Father has enabled Him. These are hard verses, but what we cannot get away from is that the Spirit of God is involved in our understanding of what Christ has done. And if you understand that Jesus Christ died to pay for your sins, it's because the Holy Spirit of God has allowed you to understand that. It's because God Himself has loved you enough to take away all of the garbage of sin that uh, clouds our vision and move it out of the way and give you a clear view that God loved you enough to send His Son. That is a blessing. 
It reinforces that you're not smarter than anybody. You're not better than anyone. I am not smarter or better because I understand what Christ has done. There are people way smarter than us out there, my friends, who do not buy that Jesus died to pay for their sins. The only difference, as best as I can understand Scripture, is because of these verses. 6.63 The Spirit gives life and flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. And it's important that God explain that to us and show that to us. If you're understanding and if you can see clearly, then man, grab a hold of that. Buy into that because that's a gift from God Himself that He's showing you, that He's allowing you to understand. Jesus Christ in Luke 4, now we can go there. Luke chapter 4, um, Sorry, before that, Ephesians 2. I know what I did now. I'll explain later. I jumped down a whole topic there, a whole point. John 6:63, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Let's look at that quickly. Sorry. If I could read my own writing, we'd be fine. But. One more picture again of this idea of, of uh, why we need God Himself to give us spiritual life. Ephesians 2, verse 1 through 10. See if you can, from what we've said about the Spirit, see if you can see how these verses show that you're unable on, in your own self to have spiritual life, but it's the work of God. Verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you've been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. One of my favorite illustrations of this verse goes back to or this passage goes back to the first verse. You were dead in your transgressions and sin. And the uh, picture, I'm sure you've heard of it, I didn't come up with this. Think of a, a nice um, plump roadkill. Roadkill is dead. And uh, the raccoon was one that uh, I always heard described. Think of a raccoon on the side of the road that is dead. And let's even say it's in the middle of the road. What can that raccoon do to get back to life? That raccoon can't even get off the road. It's dead. It's not going to do anything. Well, the picture is, as much as you're going to love this, we are the roadkill. 
and we're dead spiritually. What are you going to do when you're dead to get back to life? Nothing. Dead animals don't choose which side of the road they sleep on for the night. They're dead. Spiritually dead people need the Spirit of God to give them life. We need the Spirit of God to open our eyes to allow us to believe that Jesus Christ died and paid for our sins. And the, the passage as you go on, uh, if you'll remember, it's been a few weeks now, but Dad and Bradley and JP were speaking that even this faith that we have, even faith is a gift from God. It's by grace, not from ourselves. So let's not forget that the Spirit of God gives and sustains physical life. And let's not forget that the Spirit of God gives and sustains spiritual life. Really, really important that we understand that. Dig into that yourselves. That's deep stuff. It goes and goes and goes. But try and, and understand it and um, try and learn the balance that yes, we have the privilege of believing in what Jesus has done. But understand that if you, under, if you see that clearly, it's because the Spirit of God has given you that opportunity. That's exciting stuff. So the Spirit of God sustains life. Finally, He empowers for service. Verse 10 of Ephesians 2 says that you are God's workmanship. Other translations say you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Your life of service, once you know Christ is your Savior and this, I, this whole concept that we've been talking about, about following Christ, who gives you the strength to do it? God Himself. The Spirit gives the life and then gives the ability to serve God. Your life has purpose. It has a plan. And God, even in Ephesians 2, has said that, that you have a specific role to play that God has lined out ahead of time for you. The good works that you do are not done on your own strength, that the Spirit of God actually empowers you to do those things. Now, as a side application, what does that say? that says that your life cannot be wasted. Your life is not about you deciding about ho-hum where you're going to go or what you're going to do. Your life is about tuning in to what God wants for it. Your life is not about choosing for only yourself what you're going to do. Your life is about following a plan that God has. Maybe that's in western Iowa. Maybe that's in... An, in another state, maybe that's on tour for concerts. Wherever that is, that's fine. But will your life be lived in the service of God? Will those choices that you make be with an understanding that the Spirit has a plan for your life laid out and that you need to follow Him because God empowers for service? John 1, 32 and 34 Turn there with me, please. Then we'll get to Luke 4. I promise. John 1, 32 and 34. I like this verse because even Jesus Christ Himself, remember when Jesus Christ became a man, in many ways He limited the use of His own God power. There's other verses that tell us that. 
And in John 1, we can see that Jesus even relied on the Spirit uh, for service. John 1, 32 and 34. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on Him. I would not have known Him except that the One who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Jesus Christ, right when He was starting His public ministry, was baptized and the Spirit of God came down and remained on Him. Now that's huge because then when we go to Luke 4 and look at 1 and 2, as He's going through this public ministry, look at verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for forty days He was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them He was hungry. When that Spirit of God remained on Christ, what we believe that to mean is that the Spirit was now empowering even Christ's service going forward. And we see that in Luke 4, that when Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted, who led Him there? The Holy Spirit. Who sustained Him during that time? The Holy Spirit. Nothing in our lives will be done because we are great at loving people or we're great at speaking or we are so gifted at uh, playing instruments. It's all because the Spirit of God wants to empower you for service. It does two things. It gets the pride out of the way. If you have ability, which all of you do, it's not from yourself. It's from God. And He has a a purpose for that ability. Whether that's um, physical or or, uh, intellectual or anything you can describe, it's from God and He has a purpose for that ability. Secondly, uh, it empowers those who struggle with feeling weak. If you ever feel like I'm not good enough to do that or I'm not good enough to do that, don't worry, it's not you anyway. It's the Spirit of God who has empowered you to do things. I had uh, one sister in Christ talk to me about um, this whole idea of where we're we're meeting with each other. She said, you know, it's hard. It's hard getting up the the courage to, to launch in there and to say, hey, will you meet with me and can we study the Bible together and can we learn together? But she was encouraged uh, to understand that it's not her doing that work. It's the Spirit who will give you the strength and the help to serve Him. That's got to empower us and that's got to help us understand that, that there's really no excuses, are there? That you as a child of God have a huge privilege of serving God and the Spirit will give you the, the ability to do that. Let's stop wasting time on living for ourselves. Let's understand that we are God's masterpieces, that we are God's workmanship, that He's got good works ready for us to do for His glory, that the Spirit wants to give you all the ability that you need to accomplish great things for God. Don't get hung up for a minute of this, uh, this trap of, of the, the, my life is all about what I want and I'm in control. Instead, understand that God uh, wants great things done through you because of the Spirit of God.
One more passage, Philippians 2.13. One of my favorite verses in Scripture because it just so clearly lays out the two topics we just talked about. We just said that the Holy Spirit empowers, that gives spiritual life, and we said that He gives the ability for spiritual service. Look at Philippians 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. Look at that verse again. What does it say? What does it mean? For it is God who works in you to will and to do or to act for His good pleasure. Where does your spiritual service come from? Well, this verse would say that the Spirit of God not only gives you the ability, He even gives you the desire to serve Him. Everything comes from the Spirit. Without the Spirit of God, the flesh accomplishes nothing. The Spirit has given you and wants to give you great passion and zeal and desire to to serve Him. And the Spirit wants to give you all the ability uh, and strength that you would need to carry out that work. I love that verse because it just brings it back to home for me. God who works in you to, to will and to do for His good pleasure. So the Spirit is, is excited and gung-ho about working in your life. Why then do we fall short so many times? Well, the reason for that is because we can get in His way. We can get in His way to work. And we wrap up with this. God is all-powerful. If He wanted to, He could move us like strings on a puppet. He could work us like robots and we could just do whatever He wants. But for some reason, God loves you enough to give this love relationship with you, this interaction, to where He will not force you to do anything. He will not... Uh, uh, run the strings like we're saying. Instead, He wants that relationship with you. He wants you to respond to Him. And He wants you to understand that the Spirit is ready to work through you and to react, to let the Spirit work. There's two verses that kind of talk about how you can get in His way. Uh, One of them is 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Quickly look at that with me. First Thessalonians 5:19 Do not quench the spirit or another version says do not put out the spirit's fire You've heard many many of you have heard the term you know that this person is on fire for God meaning that the spirit is really working through him for some reason the spirit will not force himself on you that you have the ability to actually to to get in the way of the Spirit doing great things. And the illustration here is putting out the fire. The Spirit wants to accomplish great things, but you can quench the work of the Spirit. You can put out that fire. The other one is Ephesians 4.30. Ephesians 4.30 explains it another way. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve. And grieve means to inflict pain on Him, to hurt Him. 
you actually have the ability to hurt the Holy Spirit. How do you hurt the Holy Spirit? How, what makes the Holy Spirit grieved? What's that? Say it loud. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Disobedience. Disobedience. Yes. The Spirit's got this plan for you. And every time that we step out of the, out of the plan and sin and disobey and do our own thing and live for self, the Holy Spirit is grieved. Pain is actually brought to the heart of God because of our disobedience. And the clear part is, is that you could get in the way of the Spirit working in your life. And the bottom line is don't do it. Stay out of the way. And quickly, let's look at a couple of verses. And these just, man, they grabbed my heart and uh, gave me a good old-fashioned whooping because this is so easy to do and it's so a part of how we live every day. If, uh, look at Ephesians 4.30 right before verse 29. And each of these verses you're going to see talk of the work of the Holy Spirit and then connected are some ways that you can get in the way of the Holy Spirit. What does it say? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. How do you grieve? How do you get in the way? Unwholesome talk. Unkind words. Tearing each other down instead of building up. I was convicted of this. Uh, unwholesome talk has so many different applications. One of them, my friends who are men, locker room talk, as it's been dubbed. Coarse jesting. And I've struggled with this. It's not wholesome. It's not honoring. And our joking around in coarse ways can actually get in the way of the Spirit of God working in your life. What else? What else is unwholesome? Verse 29 also says, uh, only speech that will build each other's up. Build each other up. Men were just as capable of this, of tearing each other down. Ladies, you're capable of this too. Tearing others down either to their face or behind their back. In both settings, it gets in the way of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. Unwholesome talk has to be cut out. Back to Philippians. Remember that verse 2.13? Where we said that it's God who wills in you both to, or works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. What's the very next verse? Do all things without complaining or arguing. How do you get in the way of the Spirit of God? You complain. You argue. Man, we're good complainers, aren't we? It's getting in the way of the Spirit. Do we want to quench the Spirit? Do we want to put out that fire? Do we want to grieve the Spirit? Be a good complainer. Be gifted at finding what's wrong with situations or with people. If you're good at that, you're a great quencher of the Holy Spirit and I fall into that too many times. Stop our arguing. Stop our complaining. We're getting in the way of the work of the Spirit. If you're having fun so far, we've got more. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Remember, the, the book of Philippians has tons of uh, nuggets of how to obey the Spirit and how to follow the Spirit. And back in verse 2, we already heard that the Spirit works. 
But look at verse 4. It's talking about being working in the Spirit. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What are we talking there? What is anxiousness? Worry. Don't worry. If you want to quench the Spirit, if you want to get in the way of His work, worry. Have anxious thoughts. Because really, when we are worried about something, we're saying, God, we don't trust You to work it out. We've got to think on it and stew on it long enough to where we can find the answer. That is not allowing the Spirit to work. Worry is a killer to the work of the Spirit. Do you struggle with that? I have many, many times. We've got to stop that. Be anxious for nothing. The reason is, is because the Lord's going to take care of it. Read those verses on your own. The good news is right there. But worry will get in the way of the Holy Spirit's work. And finally, Philippians 4, look down at verse 8 and 9. Again, this whole idea, this whole book is about staying close to God and letting the Spirit work. Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Your thoughts can get in the way of the Spirit's work. If they're not pure, lovely, noble, admirable, they'll get in the way of the Spirit. Now understand too, one more nugget of context of these verses. Back up in verse 2 of the same chapter 4. Paul says, I plead with Iodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. There was some fighting going on. There was some disputing among sisters in the Lord. And it easily could be brothers too. It's no accident that down there he says, find me brothers too, you know. Those verses, whatever's true, noble, pure, the context of those, my friends, is how you think about each other. When we're thinking on each other, with each other, and about each other, are we looking for what's true and noble and good to focus on? Or are we focusing on the negative of each other? You can look at me for two seconds and you could already, from knowing me and my character and who I am, you could point out all kinds of negative things about me. And I about you. That's a killer to the Spirit of God's work. Instead, if we want to obey the Spirit, we need to focus on whatever's true, whatever's noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. Think about such things. This is down-to-earth practical. Do we want to walk with the Spirit? Do we want to stay out of the Spirit's way? Then let's stop our unwholesome talk. Stop our complaining, our arguing. Stop our worry. Stop our thinking ill of each other. And let's let the Spirit do an awesome work through our lives. He's powerful because He's 100% God. He wants to do the work because He's been doing it since the beginning. And He'll even empower us to stay out out of His way by having wholesome talk, loving words, thinking the best, and trusting Him.
Dig our teeth into those things. Talk about those things together as you're meeting with each other. Small groups this Wednesday, you've got those questions to talk through together. Let's grab onto it. It's practical. And as uh, Beth Morris said in one of the studies that the ladies have done, it's time. Are we just going to hear these things and move on? Or are we going to actually obey what God has to say to us and allow the God of the universe to change us and work through us? Father, thank You again for this time. It's exciting to think about what Your Spirit wants to do through us. To think that Almighty God is working in us and wants to do great things through us is, is unbelievable. It's great. But Lord, it's really sad to think that I have gotten in Your way and I'm sorry for that. Lord, we need to stop that. We need to obey You. We need to uh, submit to You. And these areas of wholesome talk and complaining, arguing, worry, and thinking the best. Work in our hearts this week on those, please. Make us more and more obedient on these subjects and allow us to be used by You. We love You and again, thank You for this time. In Jesus' name, Amen.